This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. Good morning. I had forgotten just how silly that video really was, but anyhow... I do hope that you will join us uh, for this weekend, uh, getting, prepping the grounds, cleaning up. You know, we try to do this a couple of times a year uh, and uh, really try to, uh, you know, just take good care of our home, right? And so uh, if you uh, enjoy our home together, uh, let me encourage you to be a part of that. It's always easy, you know, to just kind of let other people do those things because, well, maybe somebody actually likes that. And uh, so I just want to speak into that for just a second and like... There's no one who hates yard work more than I do. I know, I'm sure. I'm just, I'm really quite certain you could not possibly hate yard work more than I do. Why I have an acre of yard, I don't know. Um, But uh, uh, I want to encourage you that, you know, there's great fellowship and it's amazing what you get done together and and all. And so uh, please, uh, you know, take some time to be here this coming weekend. Speaking of one another... Uh, You know, this year is our commitment to uh, do more to build one another up, and so one of the things we did at the beginning of the year is uh, I passed out some cards that said one another. If you'll notice in the seat back pocket in front of you, there's another one of those one another cards, and what I want to encourage you to do uh, is uh, to do it again. Would you grab one of those cards? And this morning, I'd like to invite you to take that card and put your information and do an exchange with somebody, preferably somebody that you don't do this with all the time, so that you're getting to know some other people. But, uh, you know, I'd like to encourage you to take some time uh, between services and, uh, you know, exchange those cards, make a commitment. Uh, somebody, I, I, during the week, uh, actually, was Al messaged and said, you know, I realized how many people I don't know in the other service. Well, you could kind of hang around. I know that parking lot's big enough to park, you know, everybody. And so you could just hang around. And when somebody comes in from the other service that you don't know, you know, you could just mob them. I mean, you know, invite them uh, to uh, come and, and hang out with you sometime. But no, seriously, I really want to encourage this. Uh, we're going to be doing it regularly to all of the introverts. I apologize for putting you in that situation. Um, but, uh, you know, it is out of love that I'm putting you in that situation and for the sake of the body. So uh, let's take time to do that, if you will. And uh, if you see someone new and you want, you know, I mean, like, uh, what a great way to make people feel welcome, even if it's their first time. So anyhow, let me encourage you to take some time and do that. All right, continuing our series, Scandalous. You know, when we speak of scandal, of course, I'm not talking about scandals in the sense like that God is up to no good uh, or that the Bible is encouraging us to behave one way, but we're encouraging people to behave another way or or anything like that. I'm not talking about incongruence. I'm referring, as it were, to the reactions of men to the gospel, the things that we, when we come into encounter with the gospel, uh, not as Christians, but uh, whether, uh, you know, Jew or Gentile, regardless of your background, uh, when we come into engagement with the story, there are things that we realize seem to us somewhat absurd. They're stumbling blocks. There are things that are hard to get our head and heart around, Uh, and so... uh, 
But the thing is, is the longer you're in church, the more those things just sound like normal, you know? And so you say things that uh, to anybody else would be a really uh, suspect kind of thing. I remember, you know, just kind of thinking in terms of, of uh, church ease. You know what church ease is? That's when people speak church and you don't know what they're talking about. And as a new Christian, you know, like when I was first coming to church on my own as an adult, and you got to understand, too, I grew up in the Catholic church, so we had our own language. And then I came into a Protestant church, and I remember, like, people saying weird things to me, like, have you been baptized in the blood, brother? And I just thought for myself, like, you don't really do that, do you? I mean, like... Because I already had some ideas about Protestants that were kind of scary, you know, um, because they told me all the time things that I so supposedly believed as a Catholic that I was like, no, nope, never believed that, never been taught that. And so I already thought, well, Protestants tend to be kind of sketchy. They tell, they're gaslighting, you know, they're telling you stories that don't exist. and, And then now they're baptizing people in blood and, you know. In all seriousness, listen, there is so much that we don't, um, that we get used to, but that when we stop to consider uh, is the, the, the nature of those things, it is surprising, it's shocking, and sometimes in the minds of men, very scandalous. One of the things I, I you know, have noticed, uh, you know, in terms of how we respond to things you know, it's very recent history, this whole thing of the brotherhood of man, right? The idea that we are one human family, we all bleed the same, um, and so there is a sense that, of things that tie us together. Though we have cultural uh, anomalies and differences, uh, whether we're even talking about just uh, in terms of the United States, uh, although some of that is going away because of television and kind of there's this kind of monoculture that is very pervasive in our society. When I was growing up, like, um, you know, there was distinct accents in places, you know, that you can hardly hear anymore. Like, people from Florida would say the word Florida in a way that, like, you knew that they were from Florida or if they were a transplant right away. They would say, I can't even do it. I, I'm not even going to try. They would say, Flor- I, actually, I, there's an older gentleman that I love very dearly. I saw him in the grocery store the other day, and uh, he, ha- he is old Florida. And when he says Florida, it still sounds like that. And I always, like, I, I, I say things just on purpose to try to get him to say Florida, just because I'm like, nobody, nobody says it like that anymore. So um, uh, anyhow, uh, you know, and then growing up in Texas, there was a distinct accent, although I grew up in El Paso, Texas, so it was more like, you know, a border accent, and so I thought everybody, when people said a Texas accent, I thought they meant like, you know, the, kind of a, a Spanglish type of accent, you know, and I remember whenever I went to meet my uh, cousin's in East Texas, and they actually had the real Texas accent, you know, and I was like blown away uh, at, that I couldn't understand them. And, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, eventually, you know, over time, uh, picked up that accent living in other parts of Texas besides El Paso. But, um, but you know, I, every, we used to have a lot more of that. Um, uh, but in recent history, like, 
there is so much more emphasis on the brotherhood of man and that sense of belonging to one another. And so it has developed into a kind of fairly obvious thing in our society. But in terms of history, that's really recent, the embrace of the idea that we are one human family. And, and, uh, and, and in our uh, society today, there is a lot of talk about it, although I don't think it's really what the Scripture was talking about. I think the Scripture is talking about something much more deep and profound uh, than just getting along or tolerance or something like that. Um, but, but, you know, when you look at ancient histories, uh, anywhere in the world, uh, regardless of culture, regardless of the part of the world you're talking about, um, previous to the church coming on the scene, there is no evidence, zero, zip, nada, no evidence of anyone suggesting that all people were even created by the same God, let alone there being one God, or that people were essentially the same, that idea of the human family. Uh, there was a real sense of that uh, our little encampments, uh, uh, whether that would be uh, by our uh, belief systems or by the color of our skin or by our thought uh, process or even just a two tribes that really racially and ethnically, you know, in every sense, blood-wise, are the same, would even still think of themselves as being very separate because of the different names of their tribes and, 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 and things like that. It, that, that was very normative. We, we've got to think back to a time in which city-states, like the idea of governance, was nothing but local, and those are my people, and there was no sense of belonging to the bigger group of people. Uh, uh, that, that kind of sense that uh, so permeated all of society. Uh, and so when Christianity introduced this idea of that there is uh, one God to the world. It's not that the Jews did not believe it, but there was a sense of, uh, of uh, them being in a special place, the chosen people, and so people identified Yahweh as the Hebrew God, not as the God of the nations, not as the God of people. Although the Bible continually revealed uh, God to be that God, the creator of all things, uh, the creator of all races and people, uh, the idea that uh, people were separated because of sin and the effects of sin, and of course Babel, the Tower of Babel, uh, uh, humanity uh, assuming uh, positions and authority, places that were uh, destructive and, and God scattering the people. Uh, but this in truth, uh, history has shown over and over again that people like to divide themselves off. They like to, 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 to make their little camps and then think in terms of their, their status is unique, favored, better than. Uh, we even do that with our, our family names, right, and stuff like that. So here we come to the Hebrew Bible, and in the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible, uh, in, it introduces into the ancient world this concept. The, the promise of Abraham was said to be a blessing to uh, all people, to, uh, of every ethnicity, uh, every race, every tribe, every people under heaven. And it was such a foreign concept in the world 
that even the Jews themselves could not get their heads and hearts around that, right? As, as they uh, came into encounter with people and their expectations, uh, even you can think of uh, some of the battles in the Old Testament and uh, where the angel of the Lord appeared and they would say uh, to the angel, are you on our side or are you on their side? And the angel of the Lord replied, uh, I'm on God's side informing them for the first time in their worldview that God could actually choose, like, or care about other people other than them. And it was shocking revelation in that. Uh, they had no framework for thinking that. It was automatically assumed God must be on our side uh, and uh, couldn't possibly ever be for another people. And yet then we see throughout the revelation of the Old Testament uh, that God is, in fact, working in other nations, working in other people. There are times where uh, the greatest witness about the goodness, the nature, the character of God is given not by uh, the Hebrew people, but specifically given by kings of other nations and declaring the greatness of who Yahweh is and, and uh, uh, giving even alms and gifts and all to bring glory and honor to Yahweh. There was this, some sense in which the, it, it ripples all through the Old Testament, this concept that he really is the God of the universe, the creator of all peoples, and that he actually cares about the whole world. So when you and I begin there in Genesis and we see the story and it begins to narrow down from the two in the garden and then the nations and, and then eventually out of them is a chosen people, a people chosen from the nations uh, to represent him in the earth and to do his special bidding among them. Uh, it's easy to like forget like there was the bigger story in the background that began it all. So much so that the Hebrew people came to the conclusion that they were not only the chosen people, not only special, but that when Messiah came, that blessing to the whole world they twisted into the whole world will be under our thumb, under our rule. The whole world will be blessed by me being the best, the greatest, the most powerful, uh, you know, and that's how the world will get what it deserves, which doesn't sound much like a blessing unless you're the person in power and authority getting that, right? And, and so uh, there is this sense in which uh, we, we see that uh, the expectation for the world to be blessed is actually by the world being subdued and uh, missing, uh, as it were, the intent in the heart of God to instead reconcile all peoples together. No one dreamed that Messiah's blessing to the whole world would mean that Jews and Gentiles would not only end up worshiping the one and same God, but collectively together they would be identified as Israel. In fact, for that matter, even still today, in the church, there are teachings of what we call supersessionism, often leading people to believe that the church has, been has thus replaced Israel uh, rather than joining Israel, and it leads to all kinds of... Uh, kind of crazy eschatology, uh, 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 making sometimes the United States Israel in the place of actual Israel or Russia 
the new Israel in place of Israel and so forth. Uh, there, there's all kinds of doctrines and things that come out of that that have nothing to do with the story of the Bible. Instead, the story of the Bible is one in which there is this sense of all things coming together in God and that how he uses Israel as his witness to the nations. So instead of feeding anti-Semitism around the world, that instead we feed this sense of that we actually all belong to one another. With that in mind, let's take a look. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, if you're using your app and want to scroll down there, please take a moment. Set your phone or tablet to silent. If you're using your paperback Bible, you know, don't flip your pages too loudly. No. Um, anyhow, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Please follow along with whatever translation you have. The one in your lap, of course, that is my favorite because you're reading it. Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 2. We're beginning in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And there we read these words. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's literally what the term Gentile means, without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. So, you're probably aware, uh, if you have been reading the Bible for any amount of time, if you have not read the Bible for any amount of time, you might be surprised, but uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he's writing to this Gentile church, uh, Ephesus, uh, you know, is the place where, uh, where uh, the uh, uh, goddess uh, Aphrodite was worshipped. There was a number of uh, temples and a lot of uh, uh, attention given uh, to that goddess. Uh, uh, it was a place of great um, uh, affluence and uh, power and a great seat of influence 
for the eastern part of the Roman Empire. It would be, you know, the, the Greek side of the empire in that Greco-Roman Empire. But uh, nonetheless, uh, so uh, Paul is writing to them. Paul himself is a Jew by birth, a Pharisee. He is uh, right, committed deeply to the beliefs, the, the centeredness of his people, and that their lives are built around Yahweh. Uh, he is a lover of the law of God uh, and, um, and a student of Gamaliel. Got his Ph.D. at Gamaliel Seminary, uh, and uh, then he is also a Roman citizen, uh, being born in Tarsus, uh, given uh, a special uh, place and citizenship, a place in Rome. And so he really has his feet in two worlds, if you will, um, that, uh, so that uh, uh, his actual, his full name being uh, uh, Paul, uh, both being Saul and Paul, it wasn't that his name was changed, uh, but that his, uh, his Hebrew name being Saul, his uh, his uh, Greek name being Paul, and so um, he, uh, he begins to identify with his new Jewish or his new Gentile friends by going by the name of Paul instead of Saul. Uh, God just sets him apart in so many ways, but he really does live in two very different worlds. And that, of course, created a lot of challenges for him, right? Because uh, although he is a part of both worlds, uh, one of the things I know and growing up on the border is that no matter how much you think you're a part of both worlds, the reality is that there are, you, you, you kind of end up with a third culture. You don't end up being one or the other, and there is a lot of misnomers that you have about both cultures uh, even though you have a great deal of understanding. So uh, growing up on the, the Mexican border, growing up on the El Paso, what is border? Uh, you know, my family, we grew up speaking Spanish. A lot of our familial, our, our family uh, 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 holiday practices, culture uh, in our family, heavily influenced by Mexican culture. Um, and uh, my wife, like, you know, was always like curious, like, why does your family do this at the holiday? Why does your family do that at the holiday? And then uh, we moved to the border, uh, working in, in Mexico and um, uh, living on both sides of the border. And all of a sudden she was like, oh, gosh, all of a sudden now your family makes sense because I moved to the border and it's third culture. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not really, you know, Texas or Mexico. It's Texaco, yeah, no, it's it, it's um, it, it really is a just a, a whole different experience. If anybody who's lived in El Paso for any amount of time will tell you, like it's it's a whole another third culture experience. And so, um, uh, so Paul is caught up in this place where uh, he is trying to uh, bridge the gap between pagan and Gentile thinking. You know, I mean, pagan Gentile thinking and Hebrew thinking, uh, how viewing the world, looking at what the Bible says. And the realities are that really, in many ways, the Bible is yet still another culture, right? And even different from Hebrew culture, because there are things that he grew up as a Pharisee understanding that now he's had his eyes opened and he sees. And so, if you will, I mean, he's got, we've got. The, what the Bible is teaching, we've got Hebrew culture, we have 
Roman culture, and then now he's like creating a, a whole another culture in their minds of this Christian culture that is bringing everybody together. And it is tremendously challenging. In fact, I would submit to you that if you grew up in the Bible Belt, you might not fully understand just how huge that gap is because when you grow up in the Bible Belt, like the idea of going to church, I remember as a kid growing up in Texas, like there were no sports on Wednesday nights because you just didn't, right? Because that was youth group night, it was church night, and so there were no sports on Wednesday night. It just wouldn't happen. They, 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 it was completely intolerable whether you were a church-going person or not. You just didn't mess with that. Uh, there was this sense of expectation uh, that uh, uh, what church meant, and we thought of church people as good people, whether you went to church or not, and, and things like that. Um, uh, although I would say that that has shifted tremendously. Uh, even in the 10 years I've been here, I remember 10 years ago, like, you didn't have events on Wednesday night, and now there's, well, even church leagues, I think, do stuff on Wednesday night instead. So uh, there has been a, a huge shift, right, away from that. But what a difficult assignment to translate the ethics, the morality, the worldview of the Bible about the idea of one God and who is the father of all, the creator of all, into a culture, ethics, politics, and philosophy of the Greco-Roman world, uh, which was none of those things. It wasn't just pagan, which had a whole different idea of sacrifice, a whole different idea of worship uh, and expectation in worship. Remember, this is, uh, in particular in Ephesus, uh, there is a lot of sexual engagement in their worship. Um, uh, there is a whole different idea about what is mine and what, is, what belongs to the gods and how you appease the gods and all that. There, the, the, just everything about that would have been very, very difficult. Furthermore, it's a hostile climate. Those who were Gentiles, you may have picked up if you've been reading the New Testament for any amount of time, had a very low opinion of the Jews. Anti-Semitism is not something that happened with Hitler. Anti-Semitism has been something that has been a normative uh, issue throughout uh, time in, in history, uh, where the Jews found themselves, uh, because of the favor of God upon them, oftentimes the nations around them uh, found them very, uh, you know, irritated. Well, why are they, you know, why would, do they, they have their own God, they have their own customs, right? Uh, even down to the things that we uh, tend to think of as Jewish, things like kosher diets, uh, you know, the, the little yarmulke, you know, the prayer shawl and all that. And so, and, and when you are reading through the Old Testament and you're reading about things like don't trim your beard like they trim their beard and don't do this like they do, and, and uh, it's not just to pick at or to find fault with or that this is better per se than that, but it was a sense of, of uh, uniqueness that was supposed to be a driving point that they were wholly different than the world's system, the way the world looked at things, it was supposed to be a witness to the world. Oftentimes, what it turned into was just having contempt for the world. 
again, I would reference a little bit of Bible Belt culture. You know, when I was growing up, I knew the one thing that stood out between me going to the uh, Roman Catholic Church and my Baptist friends and my Church of Christ friends and things like that was that we could go to school dances without having to lie. We could play dominoes, even at church, and, um, and, uh, and, and, and you didn't have to, you know, worry about going fishing with your buddies, you could have a beer, uh, you know, so um, uh, you, you weren't worried about anybody telling on you or anything else, but so there was this sense in which, uh, can I tell you that sometimes as I watched my Protestant friends try to live in two worlds, actually behave in most other ways, like the world, but then talking about how evil I was for doing what they were doing, um, uh, that what it was is it was just weird, but it didn't have any sense of value to me. Like, I'd never thought of what they were doing as being actually holy or set apart, just weird. And so... As the Jews, like, lived in this world and just were different, uh, but sometimes without really bearing witness to a, uh, what God was doing in them and through them as a people, as they didn't convey their witness, the, the end result is, is that there was that, that growing sense of anti-Semitism. They think they're better than us. Uh, they, you know, which is kind of how I felt about all my Baptist and Church of Christ friends growing up, was that they just think they're better than us, and, uh, and, and there wasn't a sense of witness, of real purity of life. Uh, their teenagers got pregnant just as often as our teenagers. They were at the same parties on Friday night that we were at, so I, I really, I, I actually couldn't tell you other than the fact that they cut their hair and that they talked trash about me in the Catholic Church, I really couldn't see that there was actually any difference, and so it created a sense of contempt. It didn't ever occur to me that they were good people or better people. Never. Never crossed my mind. In fact, I thought... The fact that they lived in two different worlds like that made me think that actually, like, you know, Protestants mean well, and they go to church and everything, but they lie a lot because they're always telling me what Catholics believe, and it's not what I believe, and they're always living in one way and telling me how I should live, which is a different way than they live. So there was very much a hostile culture as the gospel was advancing and going from the Jews into, the, into the, the bigger world, there was a very much a hostile climate, right? A, a low opinion of the Jews, hated for their culture in the world, uh, one of the most misunderstood cultures. And yet, here's the thing is there was some real essence of why they made those rules, right? Those outward rules uh, was that there was actually some truth behind some of those things. Uh, like the, the real truth was that there was, instead of the uh, not dancing, was that we were supposed to be pure and to not put ourselves into situations where we would be tempted. The real sense and the real truth behind uh, not gambling and things like that was the idea of not profiting from other people 
people's pain and, or doing things to take advantage of people, especially the poor. And that, those were the real underlying causes of why, you know, when we knew that it was the best thing was not to be a drunken people, uh, and so we developed a kind of a the subculture of just prohibition of all things, and, uh, and so the message got missed. It, it just became all about that's church culture, or in this case, it was all about Jewish culture instead of being a witness to the world. In other words, there was nothing that was really empowering or said to them that these people are wholly unique, that they don't do life like the world does life. Here's the other side. That hatred was shared by the Jews for the Gentile world. Because the world had often come into conflict with the world of the Jews and then oppressed them, so that they were told that one day, as they were you know, saying that, that one day their Messiah would rule the world, they would be a royal priesthood, and they assumed that that meant they would rule over the pagan world, they thought, felt free to have contempt for the world around them. Again, I'm going to reference my growing up in the Bible Belt culture. One of the things I realized was that deep-seated contempt that existed for the world, uh, and oftentimes even, you know, that I, I still recognize it, is that, that, that many times in our concern about uh, culture and society and the shifts that are taking place, Instead of sounding like we are, instead of being witnesses and caring about the world, we develop this deep-seated contempt for the world that allows us to dismiss people uh, by titles or groups, political parties, social affiliations, whatever else, and we can just be really dismissive. And then in the end, like what ends up happening is that the world hates us and we're surprised. Hello? And so there's this kind of mutual contempt that is of the ancient world. I mean, it's not today, right? Because like, we don't have contempt for people in the world today, and, and the world doesn't have contempt for the church. I'm sure of it. I'm... And so then enter into Paul's preaching to the Gentile church about the gospel of Messiah, and he tells them that God has put to death the hostility between the two. Not going to put together, not some sweet by and by kind of like, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. No, it is the, the pragmatic, like in the midst uh, uh, this eternal life invading the present life. It's, it's the kingdom of God invading the world that we're already living in, not waiting for that sweet by and by. And the expectation then, as he says to them, is, listen, you have all been made one. There is a sense of you have been put together uh, that is greater than what you see in the world. God has put to death that hostility. How? By making you now one new man through the agency of Messiah. Now, kind of like when you and I talk about eternal life 
and we talk about some of the, the na- or the kingdom of God and the now and the not yet, right? Because there's this one sense in which we know it's now. We, uh, when, when the Spirit of God in, in comes into our lives and we are experiencing transformation, we are beginning to live, think differently, we sense the Spirit of God's presence. Uh, Richard spoke to that this morning that, you know, that really what makes this different than every day is this, the synergy of us being gathered together as spirit-filled believers, and then the, that, that, that sense of experiencing that together. We, we build one another up in, in this holy faith, right? That we are encouraging one another, and there is a, 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 spirit, there is a synergy of us being together like that that uh, makes worship so, uh, in, uh, such an amazing encounter with God. But it's not because it's this building, right? I mean, this used to, they used to repair cars in this room. This room after that was filled with computers. Now it's filled with people. We, we've repurposed the building, but, and, um, uh, but there is a, a real sense in which, like, the encounter is because we're, we're gathered. It's what makes it powerful. And so we live in a world of now and not yet. The Spirit of God working in us and transforming us and empowering us to live the life uh, eternal life, beginning this very moment. And yet you and I re- know the reality is that it, it's so much of life and the world and society, even the struggles that you maybe had this week or last week or uh, you had uh, in other moments where you just felt like, where's the kingdom now, God? You know, like I, uh, today I don't feel very kingdom oriented. I don't feel like kingdom life is empowering me. I'm just reacting to my circumstances. In fact, maybe today I'm even really disappointed in the way that the old me has spilled out over the top of the new me uh, because this body of death, this body of flesh all remembers all too well how to react in the moment, right, instead of the spirit within leading me. But God has put to death the hostility between the two, between Jew and Gentile, if you will, putting to death the enmity that not only between Jew and Gentile, but slave and free, male and female. How's that working out in your house? Okay, I won't go there. But but typically, listen, when we preach on these texts, the focus is put on the payment of sin. See, we kind of move past that part of that whole thing of expectation of being one new people uh, because we see the gaps, uh, you know. I mean, the reality is that uh, as a whole, uh, churches are very divided on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, that, that uh, churches tend to be all one people group uh, because it's just it's our friendships and our relationships that we had before we started going to church. It, still them, and, and th- that breakout is, like, very difficult. I, I, you know, um, uh, one of the things I realize is that even though I grew up in a Hispanic community and as a child, like, almost all my friends were Hispanic, right? They were nearly all, not just Hispanic, they were Mexican, proud to be so, Mexican. And, like, I don't have that many Mexican friends here. And a lot of times I find that in trying to reach out, how sometimes there's a real wall, uh, especially like, you know, uh, uh, whenever I will hear them speaking Spanish and I'll start speaking Spanish and there's this stare. And I'm like, wow, that wasn't well received. Um, 
I don't know why the stare. I can imagine things, but I honestly don't know. So it's easier for me to grab hold of this thing. God has put the death, the hostility between the two, made them one new, and then just to focus on the gospel advancing uh, there among the Gentiles, uh, uh, this whole thing that there is one payment of sin, right? That whether you were born a Jew or you were born a Gentile, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us all, and that 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 wide sweeping effect of the forgiveness of sins uh, goes all the way back. Like Abraham, by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, right, was looking forward to the time in which he would be redeemed. You and I can go all the way back to Genesis 3 and talk about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and when she fell and the promise that was made to her about the seed uh, that will be the blessing to uh, the whole world. And, and so there's this way in which I can go, well, uh, it's easier for me to get my head around just that forgiveness part uh, because uh, that I don't have to like see. But when you're talking about putting the end to hostility between male and female, people of different economic uh, things and even uh, uh, racial type stuff uh, or whatever, uh, a lot of times it's just kind of easier to skip that. And, and let's be honest, like uh, in, right now in our society, probably one of the hardest things in discussing this is because, like, there is, because of our cultural normity that we have set out, that we're supposed to be all getting along and all supposed to be, uh, you know, one human family and all, uh, but then there has been a lot of political drive in those things that oftentimes uh, has, like, actually serve to deepen the divide rather than to heal the divide. And so uh, what I find with a lot of people, especially pastors, it's, it's across the board. There's, I, I get emails all the time on this whole thing, is that where pastors have kind of become a little bit afraid to even talk about it because they don't want to be put in a camp. And that always worries me. Like, when we can't have discussions because we're more worried about that than we are worried about what's true and right. Like, I know one of the things that, that for me is that, um, that what is true and right cuts across every association, every relationship uh, known to man. So, uh, like you, I, you know, I have my political ideology. But at the end of the day, there's like, I, I recognize that there is no political party that is absolutely aligned with the kingdom. There are things that are right and wrong on both sides of the aisle. Uh, and, um, and so when we come to talk about this stuff, like, it becomes really difficult if the way we're operating is out of the worldly mindset and where we feel like we need to defend first our political values or our social values rather than defending the message of the kingdom. So here's the thing. It, 
then it really is scandalous, isn't it? I mean, if, for us to have this genuine, authentic conversation and then to be a people who are working counterculturally, and when I say counterculturally, I don't mean that just the idea that we are all one human family, but I mean the idea of actually pursuing relationship with people, uh, not because there's a quota or not because there's a, 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 an expectation or something like that, but because we, we actually just believe that we are created by the one and same God who loves all of this great diversity. It was his idea. And that, uh, that people and uh, their, their histories, their cultures and everything are of great value. That it speaks of the, 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 the greatness and the majesty of God. How do I reconcile all of that? So then follow me through the rest of the text. He says specifically that the, that the two, that is the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers, strangers to the covenants of promise, have been made one by the blood of Christ, meaning that the fulfilling of the law was not just that Jesus paid for our sins, but that He has put us together. It was His idea that we would be one, that we would have a sense of deep love and abiding for one another, that we would lay down all those other things that divide us for the sake of what unites us. And that Jesus very much did pay for the sins, but that you and I, really significant to that, would be that to love those who are not like us to put an end to the things that divide us. Not that it happens perfectly, but that there's a real effort that we make. And, and in that effort, like, like, can I just tell you that the, you're going to mess up. I, I, you really are. I, I, I you know, um, uh, growing up, like I said, on the border, one of the things I recognized is that I had some assumptions that about uh, Mexican culture and working as a missionary in Mexico, I found out weren't actually accurate, right? And I still realize at times that things that I think or understood from my experience when talking to some of uh, my uh, friends in Mexico, they'll say, no, Hal, that's not, you're misunderstanding. And I'm like, oh, wow, uh, how, how did I miss that, right? Because the thing is, is that my heart is very much for the Mexican people and uh, more ways than I can begin to articulate. It's, it's a big part of me, and yet um, uh, I recognize that I misunderstand sometimes. And it is the, the huge heart of my uh, Mexican friends who love me that although sometimes they feel very frustrated with the great power and authority of the United States and its reach into their country and its power over their country, and they feel frustrated that they still like assume like the best about me. And the key to all of that is that uh, we have established a relationship in Christ and that there is something that God is doing in making us one, uh, making us a people who are centered around Him rather than our flags. Now, when Jesus fulfilled the law, part of the uh, uh, reconciling and the putting together was then 
that he actually did put to death the hostility. Past tense. But the world, submitted to another master, continues to function the same way. And might I suggest to you that that it is the battle within all of us that struggles with the same thing, right? Of, of, of just uh, wanting uh, our way our, our, and favoring our people, our this, our that, and that, uh, that whenever I get, you know, although I am convinced of the forgiveness of sins over and against the reality that I sometimes live because I still sin and I still do things wrong, and when I am convinced uh, of uh, the presence of the kingdom and my ability to live an eternal life beginning right now because of the presence of the Spirit in me, that then I also share that same conviction about the rest of the discussion there is that if the power of the Spirit of God is at work in me, then I'm building uh, those connections and I'm crossing those lines that the world has drawn that constantly is looking for new ways to draw those lines, sometimes even in disguise of unity, but really uh, uh, trying to ramp up people up against one another. And so I I come to this uh, moment where I am choosing to believe the message of that the kingdom of God crosses all those lines and heals those things, that he has done it past tense, and that my obligation then as the spirit-filled believer in Christ is to walk that out in the present even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. And so God ended the hostility between Israel and Gentiles by making the two one, putting to death all those old world, old kingdom hostilities slave-free, male-female, by making us one. And then, like, gives us a vocation through that unity of being the royal priests, that, that, that kingdom of priests, going all the way back to, you know, Exodus 19, right? Uh, right out of his commission to, the, to Israel originally, that to be that, that people who was a witness to the nations and to be the kingdom of priests that would be interceding for all of mankind. And so this all becomes so deeply interwined with one another that you and I can't, like, say, I'm, I'm okay with this part, the eternal life part, the part where my sins are forgiven, and I'm not not going to spend any time, energy, and effort in the one another stuff, especially when you take me across lines that I don't feel comfortable with, whether it's male and female, or economic lines, or social lines, or racial lines, or whatever else, that there is this moment of where I find myself, like, come into conflict, and I'm deciding, am I going with the things of the kingdom, or am I going with my own thing? And do I believe in the power of God to work in me, in those moments, through those things, Do I believe in the calling to be a witness to the whole world, not just the parts that are comfortable for me, not just the parts that agree with me, so that we could echo Paul's words in Romans 11, all of Israel will be saved. This bringing together beginning in Genesis and all the way through Malachi and bringing to the conclusion the Gospels in Revelation is that Messiah, 
of both commonwealth of Israel and the strangers has rescued them from their exile and that you and I are called to stand in the gap. Oh, my goodness. Church, can I just tell you, unity was not the world's idea. I, I go back to that first, those first statements when I began, that the world preaches a sad parody of this idea of unity. Uh, the world preaches a sad parody of the sense of being one, being united. And that should not, like, we, we can't let the world co-opt our message and twist it, right? Like, just, just like uh, when we talk about what it means to be the people of God, like, it's not for us to let the world define those things and then make us all look like a bunch of bad guys. Uh, on the other hand, like, when we react to those things instead of act carefully and intentionally, we just give fuel to the fire. That the real call on you and I is to quit playing the game and quit arguing the narrative and just outlive the world. See, that was how they, how they, the, the difference that the church made in Rome when it just flat out outlived them. It wasn't that they had developed the best arguments. You can read what the philosophers wrote, and you can read what the apologists wrote, and, and there was some of those things, but the reality is what brought Rome to its knees was not their fantastic apologetics. It wasn't their scientific research or anything else. It was that they just flat out outlived the world around them, that the, the transforming identity of the church and their sense of unity and belonging to one another, even, even Jew and Gentile in the same thing, like where they were preaching this Jewish gospel to the entire world and they identified themselves with, with those people, the most hated, the, the suffering, the, the disgusting, you know, in the eyes of the world, not calling for tolerance, but just absolutely loving people and valuing them from where they came and trusting in the power, the transforming power of the gospel to where they're going. See, real unity doesn't ignore differences, but enjoys them, celebrates them, believes that God has hidden things in every culture and people to reveal himself to the nations so that everyone has a connection, that everyone has evidence, and everyone is drawn eventually to this one Messiah. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have faith. We walk by faith in that we have been added into Israel to complete the story of how God blessed the world through Abraham and his descendants, not to replace them, but to complete us all. Let's stand together. You know, one of the, the great messages of the Old Testament is this whole thing of how Israel... Uh, the, the chosen, right, uh, has lived in great times of, of hardship, difficulty, and suffering, and yet had this continued witness because of being uh, unlike the world. And that being unlike the world was meant to be in the truest sense, not in a weird way, like 
we're good at doing weird, but can I just tell you that there's something about actually outliving people, of, of being captivated, of loving people, of having this relationship. And we've been in this series on one another in our 40-day spiritual adventure. And the driving point of that, that, we would, that the world would know that you are my disciples and that you love one another, right? I mean, it is that sense of outliving and that it extends that love, not just to the us for and the no more, or just to the people who are here right now, not just to my family, not just to this congregation, but then this greater sense of loving the body of Christ, of loving the body of believers. And then we even walk that out across all kinds of social lines and ethical lines, you know, our ethic, um, ethnic lines or, or, or whatever, that we're walking it out across those boundaries that the world has set out there to divide us, and that when we love one another, like, that is a transforming statement. It is a transforming witness to the whole world that we really are different, not just weird. And so, church, um, I just think that's a word for us in this moment. Not to be like the world. I'm not, I'm not selling the idea that we should, like, give up all of our unique things. Uh, I, I mean, like, wh- however the Lord has brought you to a place of walking it out, whether that's, you know, you, you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't chew, you don't date the girls that do, or, or, or whether you uh, have a, a bit more freedom in that or whatever else. I'm not talking about that kind of battle. I'm, I'm talking about that sense in which where you and I are really living transformed lives and that one another sense connects us across all kinds of lines and expectations and it gives great witness to the gospel. So if you're here this morning and you're just really struggling with what it means to be in the world and not of it, I just want to invite you this morning. Can I ask the prayer team, go ahead and come on up. And um, so if, you, if that call on you this morning is one to like uh, uh, break down barriers, then, then like respond to that call that God is stirring up in you right now. If that call is to like quit doing uh, weird things and preaching weird things uh, and confusing that with the gospel, uh, then, then, then maybe that's what you come and you say, I need some prayer over this because I don't want to walk in a way that is just weird. I want to really walk in a way of true holiness. And can I just tell you that the greatest holiness I know of is when we are united in Christ and loving people who are not like us, that that is, there is a holiness about that that far exceeds any of our do's and don'ts. And so I just want to invite you to come and get some prayer this morning. Uh, I'm looking, we are over, so I'm going to ask those, if you've got kids in kids' church, you need to you know, get them before you get here to, to some prayer. Uh, if you are going to hang out and do one another card exchanges, do that in the lobby. If you would, please leave this area for prayer. Otherwise, I hope to see you next week. God bless. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way, the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.